Hello, I'm Eamon. And I'm Conrad. And we are Mega, Mega City, City Film, Film Club. Club. And we're back with a film club episode, but obviously there's a slight difference, Conrad. We are back to remote recording because the uh, the Atlantic once more divides us. That's right, yes. I've been forced to return to the land of plastic straws and free water at restaurants, a.k.a. the United States. And so we've had to both watch these movies um, on our own and uh, now record remotely. Although you'll be happy to know that I was able to get a curry after each one uh, as well. So keeping these traditions alive, even as we ourselves are separated by vast oceans, Eamon. Oh, dear. Yes, I miss our curries afterwards. Absolutely. Okay, well, look, we're going to get to two of the big films of the summer. But before we do that, we also, the last film we got to go and see together, I think... Uh, possibly, was um, the indescribable John Wick Part 4, which we just talked about off-air, because it is, I suppose, technically a comic book movie in that there are comic books of John Wick now, we believe. Yes. Yeah, there's some, although, you know, the movie itself was an original property and stuff like that. But, you know, there's comics about it, and I feel like everyone... I feel like it's pretty easy, like... I, I remember seeing the first John Wick and being surprised that there wasn't a com- it wasn't based on a comic actually because it has that sort of like maybe not like superhero but like sort of, I don't know like hundred bullets or other sort of like I don't know like like if you told me there was like a hundred issue Vertigo John Wick series I would easily believe you right <laughs> like that sort of thing and for John Wick four we we managed we looked it up we worked out that uh, Keanu Reeves does say slightly more words in the film than he kills people but it's not a, a huge uh, difference between the two numbers and yeah we both noted that the complexities of the john wick universe just get more and more strange oh yeah i mean i think like i remember the first john wick and thinking like oh man like this world of john wick is so cool you know they like these gold coins there seems to be this like secret industry of assassins and stuff like that. But going into the fourth one, it's pretty clear that it's not like a hidden undercurrent of like our world, but instead an entirely different assassin reality, basically, you know, where everything's assassin based. You can easily get international flights while wearing bulletproof clothes and with a bunch of guns. Um, you know, and where like whatever the central hitman hotline is in the is in the Eiffel Tower, that sort of thing, you know. Because of course it is. <laughs> we both yeah, thought absolutely when we saw the Eiffel Tower scene, like yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, it's very much just a like rule of cool, or you know, like ah, oh, this seems neat. Let's go with it. Why? Why? Why wouldn't you? You know. And it's no spoiler to say that John Wick has to fight his way across Paris uh, mm-hmm. for a final showdown at dawn. And um, there's an awful lot of action sequences along the way. There's an awful lot of people uh, dispatched by John Wick. The police don't seem at all interested. And it's just mayhem, nonstop mayhem. Absolutely. No, I mean, it's a really, you know, just a great nonstop action movie, basically. There's a lot of cool. There's cool camera work, cool like images and set pieces, 
you know, I mean, honestly, it's it's like like literally, it's 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 kind of what 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 I expect from these John Wick films. You know, of just let's have like action scenes at a very high level and a high and and like a high level of like stylishness also, and just have you know just ha- have things be cool. Let's like gunfights, sword fights whatever there's some really neat stuff with cameras like there's one scene where you just um that's like entirely that's like it's one single shot with the camera like sort of above the walls of a of like a building and just sort of roaming around on a track as you see top down like this gunfight play out and stuff or like with yourself with like um like samurai swords john would get some nunchucks that are pretty awesome all this stuff it's pretty great and and we're just going to mention one other sequence because that that top down sequence is amazing but near the end of the film john wick has to climb up the famous uh steps of montmartre on his way up to the sacre coeur in paris and he falls Mm -hmm. down those steps not once uh but at least twice, I think. There's definitely a key moment where he's almost there and then like gets kicked. And it's just, it's, it's a full slapstick sequence. Cause he just, he falls like not just down like one flight of stairs, but like all the stairs to the very bottom. And it's one, it's like almost family guy esque just in terms of how long he keeps, he keeps falling <laughs> as he goes. And it's pretty excellent. And then has to fight out people all the way back up once again. Yeah. Keanu Reeves has done a lot of work on the Stairmaster in the gym, I reckon, for that. Absolutely. So that's John Wick 4, just in a nutshell, very quickly. It's it's hugely enjoyable. Um, It's completely bizarre in its universe now. It's got so complex and weird. But it's, uh, it's out there. It is now, of course, available on streaming. So people can probably watch that one quite easily. Yeah, absolutely. I I I definitely recommend it. It's, it's it's worth your time. You know, even if you missed it in the theater, it's definitely worth your time watching it now. Just because you know, again, just a fun action romp. Basically, you know, you can just chill out, watch some watch some gunfights. That's a good Saturday afternoon. You know. So let's turn from a film that's now available on streaming to the two most recent comic book movies we've seen. And I put in our notes that our last sort of four comic book movies, the Black Adam movie, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, we saw Ant-Man, Quantumania, and Shazam, Fury of the Gods. I thought they were a sort of okay, but none of them were great. They had moments, but none of them were great. Yes. So we turned with high hopes and high expectations, first of all, to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, and it's tri- it completes the trilogy. Did it give us or give you what you wanted from the trilogy, from completing the third part of the, Guardians oh, man. Of the Galaxy story? You know, I've said, I feel like, and this is even before I ever started podcasting or anything like that, when the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie came out, I remember saying just that this movie feels like it was built in a lab for me specifically you know and all the and both and both guardians 2 and now 3 feels like that too where they just like it's exactly these are movies that are exactly what i'm looking for these sort of high concept like like comedy action heist movies (laughs) 
um, with, you know, in a sci-fi setting with weird spaceships and aliens and stuff. I love this movie. I thought it was really great. And I did as well. I thought I had a great time at this yeah. film. Um, and I thought, because uh, what this film, one of the things this film does is it gives us some conclusions to story arcs for the main characters of the Guardians of the Galaxy themselves. And so we get some quite nice, uh, satisfying conclusions to various little plot threads that have been going on. Yes, absolutely. I think that, you know, it it definitely we just talked does some hanging things yeah of just some of of both the backstory of especially of a star lord and of rocket raccoon or of rocket i guess who you know has been sort of, have been sort of mysterious throughout the film and just sort of solidifying some relationships between these characters who you know we we've seen for so long i think it gives i think it does a really good job of giving grace notes for pretty much everybody for all the members of of the team, like like everybody's got at least one or two moments where you really see like what that character is good at and how they sort of define themselves, I think. And honestly, how they've changed a little bit from or how they've changed from the first movie into this third one. Um, and I think that's that, that's so important for trilogies, you know. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. There's a lovely moment where I think Nebula, towards the end of the film, says to Drax, you know, you're not meant to be a destroyer, you were meant to be a dad, which I really, that really got me as a lovely, lovely sort Absolutely. of conclusion to his story. Um, and then you mentioned Rocket. Now, Rocket is like a central part of this story. Uh, Rocket's origin and backstory it comes mm. out in this film. And again, Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Um, but it is going to lead because there's been a running joke through the first two films and in this film, which is that nobody seems to know quite what to call Rocket. You know, he, there's all the jokes about badgers and rabbits and so on. And even when he's yeah. referred to as a raccoon, Rocket doesn't know what a raccoon is. Um, but this film is going to lead us to a moment where Rocket is going to adopt the full name and that was just a great moment of of being in the movies, wasn't it? I mean, just that whole, like, again, spoilers, but that whole section of all those, you know, we sort of get the, or the whole sort of running thing of the character that we know about Rocket is that he's, you know, this mechanical, you know, he's this genius, but he's also covered in scars and the result of of some sort of, you know, dark lab experiments or something like that. And his whole back, and, and we learn his whole backstory in this film and deal with, uh, you know, the, the central villain, the high evolutionary and stuff like that. And just meet his, like his childhood friends, these other animals that have had, you know, horrific like modifications done to them. And even though they're very scary, they're also an incredibly heartwarming friend group. I saw this movie I saw Guardians 3 with my brother and he was talking about like he talked about how like manipulative the movie is almost to make you fall in love with these sort of like terrifying animal monsters and then just you know kill them before your eyes and like oh no I'm so sad how could they do this like how could this be legal to sort of give you this and then take them away you know 
It's so amazing and such like it hits you so hard, I think. Why are these motion captured CGI animal monster creatures making me cry? Yeah, I don't, you know, they didn't need to do this, Eamon. <laughs> it's not like there must but be was, there must be laws against us, you know. <laughs> but it was amazingly well done, wasn't it? Because you do care Absolutely. about these weird animal hybrid machine creatures. Um, Absolutely. You know, there's some great vocal work by the actors voicing them, uh, who some of them, I gather, also did motion capture work for the creatures themselves. Um, hmm. And, yeah, it's just amazing. It's you know, And it leads to that wonderful moment where Rocket is going to take on his full name at the end of the film, which I thought, like, that was a yeah. real cheer moment for me in the cinema. Yeah, great stuff. Now, a film has got to have its bad guy, and here we have the high evolutionary... Uh, another classic Marvel bad guy clad in purple, um, doing a lot of shouting and exposition in this film. What did you make of the High Evolutionary? I really liked him. Um, what uh, Chuck Woody Iwuji, I think, is his yeah. name. Is is is, is the actor's name? That's you know, it's so it's it's so funny. The High Evolutionary has like a place in my heart because. When I started reading comics initially, way back in like in the eighties, I guess one of the first, like the first comics that got that the first comics I read, and that got me reading, like reading period, actually, like just like you know literacy, basically, were these comics for the TV show character Alf. I don't know if if they had Alf oh, yes, in England, yeah. we did, but yeah. they were just sort of like. They were kids comic, you know, they're just sort of like four little kids just tie into Saturday morning cartoons and stuff like that. But for some reason, there was an ALF annual that had a crossover that the High Evolutionary popped into for some reason, because there was like it was the same summer as the big um, crossover event where he was messing with the X-Men and all those sorts of guys, you know. So it's just like, oh, we'll put him in ALF, too. (laughs) And so it was just – so I didn't really know the, what the rest of the story was, but this sort of random big purple head showing up and being evil has like always kind of stuck with me as a comics image, I guess. So I thought it was really fun to have him show up here, and I thought the actor playing him did just an amazing job of being this like sort of you know frustrated evil genius, you know, which is such such a trope, of course – but also just really well played. And, you know, I love the makeup for him. They kind of make it, you know, look like he's got like a mask, like his face is a mask over his, over like over his actual head and stuff like that. I thought it was an interestingly designed character um, and really well performed. Just made you really like, oh man, this guy's evil. I don't like him, you know, <laughs> but also you can see that he ha- you know, is it, it does have a genius plan as well. So you can sort of like, I don't know, not empathize, but kind of like, you know, he's understandable as opposed to maybe just being fully, fully, um, you know, evil for no reason, I guess is what I want to say. <laughs> yeah. So he's, I mean, I thought he made a very good villain and I thought he was very good. Um, the other major character that gets introduced here is, of, you know, who's going to be a continuing character, I presume, is we get Will Poulter playing Adam Warlock. Now, um, for Adam Warlock fans, particularly from like Jim Starlin's time on him, 
it might be a bit of a disappointment because he's played mostly for laughs, I'm going to say. Absolutely. I mean, it was such a, like, I mean, I assumed after Guardians 2 where they sort of teased him coming, I thought he was going to, you know, like he did in the actual comics that he would play a role in uh, Infinity Gauntlet. You know, I mean, that's very, he's very much a central character in the, in the, in the, in the initial Infinity Gauntlet that the Avengers movies are, 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 are based on, you know, he's the one who ends up sort of taking the infinite, the, the gems after Thanos is defeated and stuff like that. But instead he just sort of missed it. And now, yeah, the, um, you know, and he sort of spends this movie. Yeah. It's just sort of a, 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 a himbo Superman essentially, <laughs> Which is funny, and I guess like I think I read something from uh, from James Gunn, the the writer and director, talking about how they have to do something. He can't just be full Adam Warlock because you know it's too powerful of a character to introduce to the rest of the Guardians, who are very much in the end just kind of regular folks with like you know guns and gadgets, you know. And I feel like they they show this at the start of the at the start of the movie, especially where he just shows up and just wreck you know and beats everybody basically. Like I think they do do a good job of establishing him as a threat and just like you know someone who they can maybe like pause or hold off periodically. But yeah, I mean, obviously, it's such a different character from the you know pretty much like all-powerful, like, one-with-the-universe guy from the comics, for sure. It's, it's definitely very different. And he he also gets a bit of a story arc and a bit of a moment of redemption at the end where he's going to, uh, where he does, rescue Peter Quill, Star-Lord. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd noticed that, you know, they'd conveniently sort of forgotten about Star-Lord's jet boots and his helmet gadgets at that point, or yeah. for some reason he hadn't been able to smuggle those onto the high evolutionary ship, along with the other stuff that they do manage to smuggle on there. Yeah, I. it's a weird thing. And, like, I honestly, I feel like if I have one, I'll say this generally, but if I have one problem with, I guess this is on me watching the Guardians of the Galaxy. I for like I did not really do my homework of like catching up with everything ahead of time before watching the movies. So you know, I didn't like I didn't really rewatch the pre I you know, I haven't rewatched the previous ones recently and I definitely haven't rewatched like the uh the Infinity like in- Infinity War or or Endgame which also have very important guardians beat so i forget if like you know did he lose the helmet at some point or something like that you know it's just like and i would say that's the you know maybe this is jumpy but like like, yeah it was a little weird that like you know i thought that he had solutions for these things (laughs) but he has to be saved by warlock though it does like you say it does help to redeem him and make him like you know why would he end up joining this team? Like, oh yeah, no, he he proved himself. He's fine. He's a good guy. <laughs> Just didn't know what was going on. <laughs> so that's Adam Warlock. Who may, as I say, maybe a bit of a disappointment to big Adam Warlock fans. But anyway, he's there. I could definitely um, see, you know, as some as a as a Doctor Strange fan who's had to deal with very questionable Doctor, you know, versions of Doctor Strange brought to the brought to the screen over the years. I can definitely empathize with being pissed that your guy isn't 
like he is in um, in the comics. You know, that's that's a bummer for sure. I, I don't mean to minimize it. Definitely. No, no. Um, one of the other recurring jokes of the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, trilogy, of course, is um, Groot voiced by Vin Diesel with his recurring line of I am Groot. Um, and there's a moment again, spoilers, spoilers, there's a moment towards the end of this film where Groot says a line and for the first time, perhaps, uh, it's completely intelligible. It's not I am Groot. What did you make of that moment? What do you think was going on? I mean, I think it's something that we've been counting down for, you know, since since the first movie. I mean, in the first one where he says, we are Groot, right? That's sort of a similar thing. And it's, I mean, obviously it's the, it's the big thing you do with a character who doesn't speak English or who doesn't, you know, who s- expresses themselves in other ways is that they finally... Or who doesn't talk, you know, whatever. A character who communicates differently is to have them suddenly say, like, a word or two. And it's like, oh, snap, that's real important, you know. So it's sort of a beat you're expecting. But I thought it was, you know, I thought it was it, it was powerful when it happened in the movie, for sure. And I also, one thing I also really liked, actually, on in the other way, was um, throughout the film... We see Gamora like like relearn how to understand Groot, I guess. Yeah. And like, you know, she goes from being like, he's just saying I am Groot. What are you guys talking about? To like <laughs> responding to when he says it <laughs> like he said a, a whole sentence or something like that. You know, because obviously it's a gag. But I think that, you know, again, because because we love these characters and they're played with so much heart and stuff like that you know, that such a silly thing ends up, you know, whether it's understanding Groot when he says his thing or when Groot says something different, that it means a lot and carries a lot of weight in, in, a, in, a, in a really fun way. And as you say, various characters, including the Guardians themselves, through the trilogy have, have learned have learned to understand what Groot is saying. And I thought that moment at the end of the third film was basically us, the audience, finally we've cracked oh interesting and i like that a lot actually yeah Yeah. we now understand him so that that's a great that's that's great actually yeah me too i'm 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 stealing that one i'm making that point i'm gonna talk to the nerds at work and (laughs) (laughs) explain that that's what happened maybe you know (laughs) that's what happens when you're exposed to particularly adult group for long enough because at the end of the first film as you say when he says we are grouped and then, of course, yeah. after that, he goes back to being a, a sapling, and then we see him in his teenage years, and now he's back to uh, now <laughs> yeah, it's, back it's to full size group, a little bit more buff than he was originally. You know, sort yes. of these little differences, and even kaiju Groot at one point. Oh man, that's the dream, you know. Okay, any other particular moments or scenes or characters from this film that you wanted to pick out, Conrad? Um, uh, there's just like, you know, even I love, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, actually I, I definitely have to say, and this has been true for all the Guardians movies that the soundtrack's really amazing. Um, this one's all like, see sort of like nineties hits basically. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, like needle drop, like, you know, like where, where they just play the song kind of moments and songs. I know that's sort of like, Oh man, like this is good. I think, you know, um, 
something, and this is, of course, super spoiler because that's the end, but, um, you know, obviously the end of, like, when you think about trilogies, I always think of, like, Star Wars first. I feel like that's, that's to me, that's the ultimate, like, film trilogy, I guess, just in terms of having, like, the notes and stuff like that of, like, sort of, like, here's sort of how we start, here's what the middle one should be, here's what the last one should be. And I think that Guardians, this Guardians really, really hits that of having like, you know, Guardians 3 is more serious than the other two films, but I think it's also more emotional and really takes you to some dark places, but also places that are really heartwarming. And like, you know, the end of the film is basically is sort of like um, Return of the Jedi, I, like, like the Ewok party at the end of Return of the Jedi is them on no, you know, the, the 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 team on nowhere just sort of dancing to a dog days are over by by Florence and the machine. And is like, listen, I understand that this is objectively kind of a lame thing to have in a movie. You know, if you talk about it, it's like whatever. But man, I was like, I had like tears in my eyes, and I was like, oh, everybody's happy. <laughs> you know, like. This is, you know, like, oh, my friends have finally like gotten to a good place in their lives and stuff like that. And it was great. And just really like, you know, made me, you know, have a warm feeling inside that is really why you watch, why you, why you watch a movie like this, I think. And man was really, but like, there's so much, like so many little things, the li- like little jokes, like uh, Nathan Fillin. Fillion being like this security guard guy who just like can't stop like making like talk about how crappy his coworkers are and stuff like that. Like, ah, oh, this guy. Yeah. You know, and, and like uh star Lord, like sort of coming back. Like, yeah, I know, man, it's ridiculous. You know, all this stuff, this, the, the planet of like, <laughs> that seems to be an idyllic American suburbs of animal people. And then you see its dark underbelly and stuff like this. Like, what is going on here? (laughs) Um, All this is so is so great. Like, I really love this movie. And again, like these other ones, really like. Really felt like it was just designed, almost designed to hit me exactly with with what I was looking for, you know, and so it, 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 it did that job amazingly. Yeah, it's, I thought it was fantastic. I had a great time. Um, you know, the music was great. The jokes were good. And Rocket's story was just wonderful. And it leads up, as we said, to these wonderful beats for each character at the end and they all get a little moment. Um, and yeah, as you say, all our buddies end up happy, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Where would you rank it in the three game um, Guardians of the Galaxy movies? Hmm. I'd I'd put it second, I think, after the first one. Yeah, like the first one. The first one's so iconic to me. Yeah, yeah. And in the post-Endgame Marvel Cinematic Universe of the films we've seen since, you know, Endgame. Oof, I'd probably say it's one of the best ones. I think I really liked uh, Far from or, or or a No Way Home as well. I think that one might be top, but. I think Guardians 3 is in the conversation as well. These both of these two uh trilogy cappers, I think. And then maybe Multiverse of Madness sort of in, you know, sort of t- 
tied for sec or in second or third there as well. Those those three are definitely the best ones, I think, of of this current run. We may have gone for too many curries together, but we're uh, we're absolutely on the same page on that one, Conrad. <laughs> hey, all right. <laughs> okay, well, you mentioned multiverses. Let's turn from Guardians of the Galaxy three, turn to a film about a multiverse, Spider Man mm. Across the Spider Verse. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> yes. Now I'm going to manage expectations. I'm going to say spoilers again, but manage expectations mm. by saying that. Uh, it would be almost impossible to match the perfection of the first one of these movies. And mm-hmm. also to say, and I, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, I think this is out there now, that this is the first of a two-parter film. So it's going to end on a cliffhanger, uh, I think we can say. What did you make of this one, Conrad? Oh, man. This is a really good movie. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> um you know, I love the first like like you. I, I I love the first Spider-Verse movie. I think it's a really great example of yeah, of just like a superhero movie, a coming of age movie, like a found family movie, all this kind of stuff. I think is really great. Um, and this new one just sort of expands on every it expands on what exists in every direction. You know, and manages to have really cool action sequences, innovative animation and like and like a special effects and art while keeping um like the heart, I think that's such an important part of like Spider-Man, I guess. Like of this, you know, this sort of character who is this amazing hero, but whose life is always in crisis you know even when he's successfully beating villains his personal life is always in trouble and keeping that you know in in the forefront the idea of you know miles morales who you know has has like problems just you know proving himself to his parents even as he's also having to prove himself to you know Proves out to his parents and find where he belongs in the world, even as he's doing the same thing with this, you know, society of Spider-Men, you know, it's, you know, and it's so, it's so good. All of these like um, little moments, all these new characters, all these looks and things is, it's so, it's really great. Like you got to see across the Spider-Verse. It's really good. Well, you mentioned. Sorry, that's like I can't. I can't not talk. Not not just get to the conclusion of it because I'm. I really like it. You mentioned the artistic styles because in the first film, we saw characters from other universes in the Miles Morales universe, right? And so, the, while there was some artistic uh, differences about the way the characters were portrayed, this time, of course, we go. We venture into the other universes, and. Um, for some of the universes, they've very diff- definitely chosen different artistic styles to just depict the whole universe, not just the characters. And I really liked that. I thought that was a fantastic um, aspect to this film, particularly the Gwen universe, which I thought was wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Just that these different different characters, different worlds ha- have different art styles, you know, that the, yeah, the the, the Gwen one has these like, colors splashed around it and stuff like that these slightly different character designs and different um 
just ways like like how they how they interact with people and stuff it's really great and really like them thinking of like well we're making this animated movie about spider-man like how can we make it interesting and really just going all out with it you know and I mean, there's the wonderful Indian version of Spider-Man, uh, like a Bollywood version, which was wonderful. Yeah, um, Mumbatan, and, uh, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And then Hobie Brown, Punk Spider-Man, the London Punk Spider-Man. Uh, oh my uh, gosh, he's just, yeah, he's fantastic as well. No, I think I think Hobie really um, shows up and just changes everything. Almost just the way that you know they. I read like I just after I saw the movie, I just read a bunch of stuff about it and have talked about how like he's moves at a different frame rate than everyone else in the movie, you know, and he's constantly constantly changing, constantly going off model because he's spider punk in a way that means that, you know, he like like he says, he's he hates consistency. You know, he can't even be the same at you know from moment to moment within the rules of an animated film. You know what I mean? It's really like it's so great. He's such a such an interesting character, you know, who just shows up and is so cool, you know, <laughs> like unbelievably cool doing this stuff. It's really great. And there's a moment where he takes off his spider mask and we hear Miles Morales say, and now he looks even more cool. <laughs> well, he says, he says, well, you look even cooler without the mask. And he's like, I was always this cool. <laughs> Which is great. He knows it, you know? <laughs> One of the, the, the huge things about the first film was the sort of Miles Morales is the emotional heart of it. And, mm-hmm. you know we can get a bit bored of origin stories, but the origin story leading up to that wonderful moment uh, with the WhatsApp, da- uh, um, WhatsApp danger needle drop in the first film yeah. was just utterly fantastic. Um, here we focus in a way a little bit more on backstory of Gwen in a way. Um, yeah. My, you know, Miles is doing, there's, I think there's a, there's a nice bit about Miles having to do, very complicated scheduling, you know, being Spider-Man takes up a large part of your calendar, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely. No, it, um, I mean, it's, it's the classic Spider-Man situation, you know, where he's Spider-Man, but he's also got to balance school and work and like life. And, you know, it means that he's got a secret that takes up a lot of his day, but he's got to kind of then make excuses about it to his parents and stuff who, you know, have no reason to not assume the worst. And honestly, being Spider-Man might be the worst anyway. You know, <laughs> like, I guess it's not doing drugs, but it is like getting beat up all the time and being in danger and breaking laws. You know, like it's a it's a tough life for sure. Being a especially a teenage superhero, you've got an extra layer of authority over you, you know. So we go across the Spider-Verse. We find out about all these other multiple versions of Spider-Man in different universes, and we meet uh, the Spider-Society. Now, I know from my reading afterwards that there's an awful lot of um, uh, video game versions of Spider-Man in there that we see in the movie. Did you, I mean, did you mm. enjoy all these different types of Spider-Creatures that pop up? Oh, absolutely. I think that, like... You know, those, mo- especially when they're little ones that I recognize from other things, I guess. Like, you know, they have like Scarlet Spider in there who's all full of like 
you know, he's like the clone Spider-Man, right? You know, and like Ben Parker and he's all full of angst and inner monologues. I thought was really funny. Um, but even just like, you know, like, oh yeah, but just like just the little gags or something. Here's a Spider-Man. Here's an old West Spider-Man with a horse that shoots webs somehow or T-Rex Spider-Man or like, oh, here's there. There's a lady hockey playing Spider-Man. Like, I don't know, whatever. It's fun. You know, Spider-Cat. All these different. Yeah. Spider-Cat. All these different ones is really like, you know, it just makes it, you know, there was the, uh, the Lego sequence as well. Like all these different ways. It's, it's, it's really great. Like just to show this creativity in different ways and stuff. And I like them having these sort of like, you know, something that I think is going to be fun to try out when it comes to streaming or to, or to, to DVD is there are, they do have these little like notes next to a bunch of the Spider-Men of like where they're from and stuff. And I'm really, I'm interested to get a chance to try to read those and just see like what, you know, if there's jokes or other references about characters like, like hidden in there. I liked, I mean, talking about artistic styles and you mentioned the Scarlet Spider, I, I liked how the Scarlet Spider's muscles are very sort of 90s image comic shredded muscles, you know, and as you said. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and he sort, of, he sort of stands there like he's in 2D almost, you know. Yeah. But he's, but yeah, because it's, it's very much like, yeah, like, I mean, honestly, what I remember, I remember that character from my own comics reading and it being, yeah, this extremely 90s, like, you know, kind of regrettable like character that to me was like of course you would hang out with scarlet spider miguel o'hara you like two forgotten relics of 90s comics like hanging out being evil you know that kind of stuff (laughs) so the voice cast is great the animation is superlative there is so much to look at on the screen as you say this is a film that's going to bear lots of rewatchings to pick up on stuff because there's just so much happening at any one time on the screen with the way they've done the art and the animation absolutely yeah i mean yeah uh, like uh, you know so many there's so many great performances i mean um Shmeek Moore and uh, Haley Steinfeld as 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 Miles and Gwen are, are are of course the standout and standouts and you know the emotional core of the film. Um, I think you know Oscar Isaac as Miguel Isaac as M- Miguel O'Hara is really great. You know I'm a long like as much as I joke about it, like you know I I read those those Marvel 2099 comics growing up, and they do have kind of a uh, they've got like. A nostalgia for me as well. I think actually to bring it back to 2000 AD, I think Pat Mills did. I think he did like Punisher 2099 or so. He, he did one set of of, of 2099 uh, 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 Marvel comics, but um, it's um, you know, but like so many of the characters, really fun. I thought, yeah, like uh, Jason Schwartzman also, who was the Spot, had some really great monologues and just sort of like. You know, I thought he was a really interesting big villain if just because, you know, they they make a joke that he's just sort of a silly villain and villain of the week. Like before I saw the movie and he shows up in the trailer, I thought he was just an example of like 
day-to-day spider work <laughs> spider-man does stuff like oh here's a a minor guy to be as an example to be dealt with and then spider-verse is going to be the big thing but it said he turns out to be this like you know terrifying monster character that is really neat and yeah and i mean i guess they i wish they had a little bit more uh, or they don't have that sort of or less they don't they don't really have a big like just full musical sequence like the what's up danger sequence in the first spider verse i guess but there are some really great mute like definitely moments and even musical moments i think i really liked the um actually the 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 opening i guess where gwen's playing the drums and explain the i i guess the the backstory the previous movie and what's to come actually and that um that refrain of and he's not alone really like cuts into me like that's a really that's a really powerful sequence i think yes it is i mean that's tremendous opening to the film uh i also missed the big needle drop moment of what's up danger um in this film Mm -hmm. that was the one thing that i wanted i sort of knew going in that it was going to be a cliffhanger ending and the first of a two-parter film i see i didn't know that because i I was uh, really i was really surprised when i got to the end because i was like oh my god how what are we gonna do and then there and the movie ended and i was like no (laughs) i was like i realized that of course you know or I was literally like like they were getting to the big buildup for the cliffhanger. And I was like, how are they going to have time to do all this? What's going to happen? And it's just like to be continued. And I was shocked, honestly, because I, I saw it like opening weekend. So yeah. it really like took me by surprise. And, you know, we hear rumors that we're going to have to wait for maybe it's not going to be next year. Maybe two years or more before we get the third part of this trilogy, Conrad. We'll see. I mean, I know it's it's announced or it's currently on the schedule for 2024. But on the other hand, like as excited as I am, you know, I've worked in jobs with in, in crunch and had to deal with that kind of stuff. And like, you know, I'm certainly willing as excited as I am. I'm, I'm certainly willing to wait for them to make the movie right. And to do it without abusing their workers too much. I think that that's an easy point to stand on you know where i um where i'm living now i'm within dist i'm within distance of one of of a big of one of the big film studios here in los angeles and can hear um people honking in support of the writer's strike and stuff like that and that's going on as we're recording this and definitely like you know you know, I'd rather the movie be made with everyone being everyone involved being happy and healthy than worked hard. No matter how much I need to know <laughs> if Miles and his friends, I just want them to get through it okay, Eamon. You know, I just need, I just want them to be happy in the end. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we're not going to spoil the big reveal that sort of happens towards the end of this film, but uh, yeah. We want Miles and Gwen and the other characters to be okay and get that happy ending yeah. that we saw for the guys. Please, and and you're quite right. You need to point reminding me of the moral and ethics of getting this uh, studios to work properly with their employees. Um, for Absolutely, the third part of this film. Uh, although I say, if it doesn't have what's up danger in uh, in it at one moment, I'm going to be very upset. 
need at least a callback, you know. Yeah. But I and I'll say sort of going back to what I said for for Guardians, where 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 Guardians had a like, you know, had a very Return of the Jedi feel. This is like you know Ultimate Empire Strikes Back, like you know downer like oh my god what's gonna happen everybody's you know the worst possible things have happened to each character like what what's what what are they gonna do now but there is still these glimmers of hope you know among the darkness that really like made me you know that sort of I think when you see a movie knowing that there's gonna that there's gonna be a cliffhanger that there's gonna be a prequel you can get to the end and feel like let down or like, oh, well, this is BS. Like, why did they just make it one movie? But I got to the end of this one and instead was just like, well, I got us, you know, whatever. Like, put me, you know, freeze me and just thaw me out when the next movie comes out. I don't need to, to do anything in between, you know. <laughs> it is very Empire Strikes Back in a way that we get – because at the end of Empire, obviously, we get those sort of like there's different different team ups, different combinations of the characters mm-hmm. are now set it out to you know uh, do the things they have to do in the third part. And there's a little bit of that in Across the Spider Verse, which is uh, yeah, it's a yeah. Good, very good um, parallel you've noted. Anything else about this wonderful film that people should rush out and see if they've not done so already? Um, man. Just, you know, check it out, honestly. Like, it's really, like, you don't need a lot of, like, deep Spider-Man lore to to to, to get it, I think. Maybe that helps if, just because you're recognizing characters, but it's silly enough to, you know, it's good enough to just kind of be like, oh, yeah, no, like, this guy's fun. Look at that, no, you know, look, look, look at this vampire sci-fi Spider-Man. There's a cowboy one. Everyone, you know, it's all like neat, you know, and just, you know, I just really like, there's so much multiverse stuff going into, in these comic movies now, you know, Far From Home, uh, Doctor Strange, the, the Flash movie that I'm sure we'll be talking about soon, deals with it quite extensively as well. But I think that, Spider-Verse is still really the gold standard for this of, you know, centering on one character and really making these sort of beats that of that uh, that that we all know really matter and keeping again like I said like like an emotional core of these characters that you still, you know, care about them as people and not just, I don't know, different colors of suits or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, real Two good, man. Films. Come on, go see it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Two great films. Only thing it would have made them greater is if you and I had been able to go and see them together and have a curry afterwards. You know, but. maybe try to try to come back to England for uh, for Beyond the Spider Verse or something like that. We'll see if it can happen. <laughs> and also, I forgot to mention, we are promised a uh, Haley Steinfeld voiced. Uh, Spider Woman, Gwen's or Spider Gwen film at some point, I believe. Oh, nice! Yeah, I definitely check that out for sure. Happen, but uh, that would be great, particularly if they stick with the artistic style that this one uses for her universe. Yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, she's got a really. Uh, that's a really interesting character, I think, especially and even more so when you sort of read some of the like. I don't know. There's more advanced internet theories about <laughs> Gwen and stuff like that. That I think are very intriguing as well. Excellent stuff. You mentioned The Flash. That will be coming up. I guess 
I know in the autumn we've got Craven and the Marvels coming out, or Marvels coming out. Um, Flash is out already, I think, isn't it? Yes, I, I, I like you know this might be be cut, cut outable, but I think if 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 you haven't seen it yet, we might be getting it to a point where where we might end up missing it in theaters actually because it's not doing well. But I think uh yeah yeah Flash is out now. Next is um is the Marvels uh so the crossover of um Brie Larson and then um the Miss Marvel TV show and Monica Rambeau that one. Then uh, Blue Beetle in August, Craven in October, and um, Aquaman in on a Christmas Day. Oh, okay. Aquaman and 2. I should mention yeah. that we have also had a listener suggestion for two more 2000 AD related films for us to cover Ooh. in an upcoming Film Club episode. Now, we'll tell you about those when we uh, finish recording, Conrad. We've got some, some more homework to do for listeners. Very excited. Always happy to watch these 2000 AD films. Come on. So that's what's to come on Mega City Film Club. In the meantime, Space Spinner 2000 continues and can be found. SpaceSpinner2000.com or just, you know, look it up wherever it is you're, you're listening to this. I'm, I'm sure you'll find it in all your, your podcast apps. We're making our way through 1994. Uh, should be finishing it up soon. Then... On to 95 when we'll, we ourselves will be dealing with the film club once again as the Dread movie comes out and the fallout from that will be interesting, certainly. And at the moment, you're in uh, the Wilder Zone, as it were, doing the Judge That's Dread, right. Uh, yeah, we've just started the, uh, the, the Wilderlands mega epic as, uh, as both uh, Space Spinner and Big Meg One, that's the, uh, our, uh, our, our Judge Dread magazine podcast, team up to talk about the deadliest camping trip in the history of space. <laughs> so that's at spacespinner.com. Uh, you can find all my links at megacitybookclub.com. And that'll do us, Conrad. Uh, we're just coming up on 50-odd minutes. Uh, so that's been the film club. Two great films this time. Yes, th- yes, absolutely. This one's it's really redeemed a couple of the other ones that we've had to watch so far this year. These were like it's and sets a high standard for subsequent films as well. Like I'm sort of, you know, like like the bar is set, you know, and yeah. if they don't make it, then, you know, whatever other ones have. So, <laughs> you know, there's no excuse. I can hardly wait to watch these two again. Um, they're great fun. Absolutely. Great. Until next time the Film Club uh, convenes, I've been Eamon. I've been Conrad. And, and we, we are Mega City, City Film Club. Club. <laughs>